Welcome to One Haas, a podcast devoted to bringing the Haas community closer together through your stories. I'm your host, Sean Lee, and my mission is to help open our eyes to the network we never knew we had. Today, I'm joined by Steffi Decker of the Full-Time MBA 2020 program. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You know, for how long I feel like I've known you, which is an eternity after private (laughs) equity class together, I feel like I barely know you. So why don't you tell us where you're from and what you did before Haas? I am from New York originally. I then traveled far down the Jersey Turnpike and went to Duke for undergrad. Mm -hmm. And from Duke, I moved back north to DC and spent Oh, the better part of eight years uh, building and running a digital marketing agency in DC. Our focus initially was on politics and advocacy. There were five partners in the business, myself and four others. And we wanted to make a difference. Probably watched too much West Wing as kids <laughs> and thought electing the right people, advocating the right causes is how you make a difference in the world. Mm. And so that's where we started. And we were young and we knew nothing So our sort of path to doing that was digital. And this was 2007, 2008, 2009, when nobody knew anything about digital. And the old sort of crusty white guys who run the TV ads and control the budget find the youngest kid in the room and they're like, go figure out this digital thing. And that was sort of our entree into the space. And so our firm and my extremely talented and terrific partners and I got some great opportunities early on to run digital advertising and do digital communications for some really cool and interesting Senate campaigns, some statewide ballot initiatives. Uh, We worked for large national advocacy organizations working on women's rights and reproductive rights and access, gun violence prevention, and many other great issues and causes we cared a lot about. And also we're lucky enough to be pretty good at it. And we won some races and we helped some folks and built an agency around that and expanded over time. Wait, is this like a startup or a business you guys built together? Yep. Yeah. We started, my partner started initially in 2000, I guess in 2008. I was introduced to them through a mutual professor from Duke. Four out of the five partners went to Duke. I see. And they were a couple years older and they had graduated a couple years prior. But I was introduced to a mutual professor because I had told him I was interested in politics and media and maybe sports. And he's like, well, I'm an academic, so you know, I don't, I don't know anything about those things, but let me introduce you to these guys. I knew them while they were here at Duke. They're doing something like that. Go talk yeah. to them. And so I talked to them. And then when I was in college, I started working with them. And when I graduated, I came on full time. Right. And we sort of built this agency from the ground up. And we started, I guess I came on in 2009. And we did, we had the great privilege of working in 2010 on Harry Reid's Senate election, mm. uh, which if you're not familiar, he's the he at the time was the majority leader from Nevada. Mm. He was not predicted to win. It was a really important Senate race. And we got to work with amazing people on the campaign and running the digital overall marketing program. And we got to do some really cool and innovative things in digital marketing and advertising. And much to their credit, he won. And that was a really great platform for us to get to do a lot more work in democratic politics. Mm. And then also around the same time, we expanded to other sectors and built up our brand both in retail, in technology, and publishing. It's actually sort of a funny story if you're up for a funny story. uh, Funny (laughs) is not the right... (laughs) Funny is probably not the right word. Interesting. 
what we found in the 2010 election mm-hmm. is in addition to doing some statewide races, we did two St. Louis area political races, two congressionals. We did the Missouri second, which was a congressman named Russ Carnahan, mm-hmm. which covers a lot of St. Louis. And then the Missouri eighth, Missouri eighth, I think you're supposed to say, the boot heel of Missouri, a guy named Tommy Sowers, who was a terrific candidate. Um, and this was the Southeast part of the state. And what we learned in doing that is that when you work in a mid-sized city like St. Louis, in every city, there are a couple Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 big businesses. And usually the businesses in those states, the leaders are the C-suite and board members of those companies are usually somewhat involved in local politics and are, in this case, were donors to both of the candidates we were working with. Okay, And so we saw, um, we were doing the digital advertising for both those races one of the biggest companies in the area was actually Build-A-Bear. If you've ever built a teddy bear. I have. You have, yeah. Who hasn't? <laughs> uh, great brand. It was founded by an extraordinary woman named Maxine Clark. Maxine is a political activist and she was a donor to both of our candidates. She saw the digital ads and this was 2010 before digital ads were cool, before people knew what remarketing was, before right. Amazon shoes were following you everywhere on the internet. Right. Maxine saw our ads for the candidates and didn't know quite what was going on and wasn't sure if this was brilliant or stupid. And she called the candidate and said, what's going on? And he said, I have no idea. Talk to my digital whiz kids. And we had a chance that was sort of the crack in the door to get our first corporate client, which ended up being Build-A-Bear. Wow. And that for our company was a huge jumping off point that we had the opportunity to work with Build-A-Bear on some small projects Mm -hmm. and then grow our foot in the door and do more marketing work with them. And that sort of snowballed into a bunch of other opportunities. Did you study marketing at Duke? It's hard to remember studying at Duke, period. (laughs) I think, no, I did not study marketing. I studied politics and media. If I remember back then, though, this was 2006, 7, 8. Feels like a lifetime ago. Mm. The, The curriculum was very traditional. It was sort of the canons of journalism and media and journalism ethics. And Mm. it wasn't a lot of new media and disruptive media. So... It was kind of a broad liberal arts education. It wasn't super focused on the work that I ended up doing. Right. But I did study some amount of politics and some amount of media. What did you end up doing after this gig? Uh, I did this gig for a long time. Um, I remember I was at a session, I guess it was right when I started at Haas. And people were asking you know, about your first job. And I was still doing my first yeah, job. Yeah, this yeah. was my first job and my only job. I did it for eight years. I So I ultimately, we grew the firm to about 25-ish, 30 people uh, working in a number of different sectors on lots of different types of projects. It was a full-service agency. So not only did we run paid media campaigns, we did all the development and creative in-house as well. Mm. So it was a real thrill to get to both do work that I care deeply about. I got to work with amazing clients fighting for climate change Mm -hmm. and gun violence prevention and women's rights and access for reproductive care. But I also got to build a business at the same time. We were totally bootstrapped. We had no outside capital. We had no advisors, no investors. So that, I, you know, there's pros and cons to that. We kind of reinvented the wheel several times at different points, but also my partners and I had the good fortune of We didn't know any better. Nobody told us how it was supposed to be. So we just got to build the company that we wanted to have. One that treated people well and supported them and gave especially young people lots of opportunity to succeed and grow. And 
rewarded them and compensated them as they achieved great things. Right, right. I did that for almost eight years. And then I loved this work. I loved my partners in the company, but ultimately felt like I wanted to do something else. I wanted to do something much bigger in the in the future and mm-hmm. have an opportunity to run something bigger and more complicated. And so I also wanted to take a break. And Is that why you came to Haas? That's why I came to Haas. <laughs> well, first I spent eight months on a beach. Uh-huh. Um, I went to kite surfing camp. I biked down the coast of Thailand. Ooh, I spent a month in Mexico. Uh-huh. Did a couple beaches there. Did some yoga retreats. Did some surfing in Sayulita. Went on a very dangerous mountain biking trip through the uh, Sierras from uh-huh. Oaxaca to Puerto Escondido, yeah. um, which if you've never mountain biked before, I would not recommend this as your first <laughs> mountain biking expedition. Then I went to Asia. I road biked down the coast. I went to Indonesia and Cambodia and Laos. Then I went to Europe for a while, went to kite surfing camp on the southern tip of Spain in Tarifa. Oh, wow. Really unsafe, super fun, really unsafe. <laughs> and then I found my way to Berkeley, California. Did you, I think any prospective student would be wondering, did you already get into Haas and then decide to go on this trip? How, how, how did the timeline work out? I had decided to leave my company. My exit from the company was a very long runway. Mm-hmm. My partners and I worked very closely together to handle the transition. It was about a two-year process. Mm. So I had planned to leave long before I had ever even thought about going to business school. If I'm being honest, I had never thought about going to business school. I was six months out from the end of my time at the company. It was going to be December 31st. It was mid-July around my birthday. And I was literally planning to just chill for a while and figure out what the next thing was. I genuinely didn't know, but I knew I needed space and time to think about it. And my older, wiser, sometimes obnoxious sister came to me and said, homie, like how how are you going to chill for two years? You can't even chill for two weeks. Yeah, Do something with your life right. was her, her message. She's like, why don't you at least go to business school? I'm like, yeah, that's an idea. <laughs> and so I thought about it and it seemed like an okay idea. Mm-hmm. And so I studied for the GMAT quickly, took the GMAT, applied to the schools in round two, and then left the company at the end of December, spent New Year's Eve at a hotel room in Mexico City writing my applications and submitted those and then spent the spring mostly traveling and I guess doing interviews remotely. And That's brilliant, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Why do the interviews here when you do them remotely, right? Yeah. (laughs) All right. I remember, actually on that front, I remember Morgan called me, who was the former director of admissions, Mm -hmm. who was kind enough to call and make the offer of admission. I was on day like six of my bike trip down the coast of Thailand. I was on this remote beach. We had biked 120 kilometers. Mm -hmm. I probably had 120 beers to recover from that. And then I get a call from Morgan in Berkeley, California. Yeah. Like, what? It just like seemed so remote, so far away. That's so funny. Yeah. (laughs) Who'd you go with, by the way? I'm just curious. On the bike trip. So most of my travels, I was on my own for the most part. I started the trip in Mexico City for New Year's Eve to celebrate New Year's, celebrate the next chapter. A bunch of friends came. So we had about 10 or 15 folks in Mexico City for that. And then as I kind of worked my way through the rest of the travels, mostly on my own, met some friends in places, made some friends in places. I had never traveled for so long by myself. It's awesome. It was such a important thing to do. I think what I learned 
in that journey is, you know, the two key things. One was about sort of self-directedness. I felt like in my whole life and my career, I was so focused on supporting those around me, helping my company, helping my partners, helping my teammates, helping my family. And my order of prioritization, I was pretty low on that list. And I think I would extend myself to others and use a lot of my capacity that way. Right. And then, you know, you're on a beach in Thailand for three months by yourself. And every day you have to wake up and decide, what am I going to do today? that is going to bring me joy and meaning and happiness and not there's nobody else to make happy here. Mm-hmm. How am I going to find joy and meaning for myself today? And when you think about vacation, when you only go on vacation for a week in your everyday life, yeah. it's sort of easy to just like disconnect, veg out, and then a second goes by and vacation's over and you're right. back to work. When you got three months to do it, and I know this is such a privilege. So for everyone listening, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, this is, you know, <laughs> such a terrible problem to have. But I really feel like having all that space and time helped me learn to be really self-directed and figure out how I have to look deeply inside myself and think about what would give me meaning and joy and purpose every day Mm. and build that muscle. I don't know if I ever had that muscle and it atrophied or maybe I just never had it, Mm -hmm. but I developed it. And I think that was a really important skill to learn coming into business school, Mm. to have that within yourself. What would give me meaning and joy and purpose Because in business school, you got a million things coming at you and there's so much pressure and momentum and force. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that within yourself, you're just going to be susceptible to whichever the way the winds are blowing. Right. And so I really value having that time and opportunity to develop that. You know, I'm curious because, I mean, you just mentioned having that privilege, right? And the importance of the skill. Have you found yourself revisiting and practicing this skill or finding other ways to, I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to get at here is, is there any other way to develop the skill without a three-month trip to Thailand? <laughs> Would you say, you know, now in hindsight? Because I think it's a very important message, this message of self-awareness and, and reflection and really taking time for yourself. Because I, I think a lot of people our age, or at least in the MBA, are, I don't want to call lost souls, but you know, like everyone's trying to find themselves. Mm-hmm. And in this ever-changing world where automation and AI and ML is is rapidly replacing jobs, it's like what what are you gonna do? Have you come across anything that could help students or just people? I think one thing that I have advised people to do, and the feedback has generally been positive, is be methodical and detailed. And for example, take a week of your schedule. And at the end of the week, go through all the things you did. Mm. Classes are sort of mandatory. You got to go to those, some of those. (laughs) But outside of classes, I went to this career session. I went to this rager of a party. I went to this deep dish dinner. Mm. So there's so many different things that you'll do in a week. And every week to build this muscle and build this ability, go through that and reflect on which of those produced value and meaning for you. Right. In which of those did I have really worthwhile conversations with people? And in which of those did I have kind of the superficial minutiae conversations that are not in the grand scheme all that valuable? Right. And if you do that reflection, deliberate reflection process, Mm -hmm. I think week over week, you can start to optimize and iterate towards the types of programming and opportunities and offerings that you are finding meaning in. Yeah. But I think a lot of people, when you don't do that, you just take what comes at you 
and never really reflect on whether it was all that worthwhile and certainly never pivot or adjust to find more worthwhile uses of your time. I think that's, that is a key message. That's something I've actually had to learn recently, uh, relearn, I should say, because you lose awareness that you're not taking time to reflect. Absolutely. And at the end of the week, you just want to zone out. And I do think there are healthier ways to zone out, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and taking that time for yourself yeah. may seem like extra work, but I think for personal wellness or mental wellness, it is very important and crucial. Absolutely. Yeah. I think when I came into business school, I thought business school was going to be chill time. Mm. I mean, you were like the sort of batna <laughs> on this was a beach yeah. for a while. And so I, presumed business school was chill time. I also Mm. would not recommend doing this, but I knew very little about business school coming into this. Mm -hmm. As I told you, I hadn't planned to come to business school. To be honest, I hardly knew a person who went to business school. I worked in politics. Nobody in politics goes to business school. I worked in small boutique tech marketing politics. Not a lot of business school. DC, not a lot of business school. So it's not like I came to a big, from a big consulting firm or even a big anything where lots of people do this. So I didn't even know anyone who went to business school. And so I had no idea that it is exhausting, (laughs) that it is overwhelming. It can feel a bit like a tornado when you're in, or a hurricane and you're in this eye of the storm where right around you seems fine. But if you step too far one way to the left or right, you're you're in it Um, and you'll never get your feet back on the ground. So it, it took me a little while at the beginning to step back. I think one exercise that I did was... I pictured myself, and this was in September of first year, I pictured myself walking across that stage in May of 2020. I don't know if there's a stage, but mm. you know, graduating, getting the diploma, having that experience. And I walk out those doors. I had this very dramatic visualization of throwing open the doors, seeing the sun hit my face with glow. Mm. Anyway, and I, and I reflected, what do I want to walk away from this institution with? You know, what are the very specific tangible things right? and identified those and wrote those down and started, and that enabled me to start organizing my time towards those. And if mm. I was approached with come to this party, come to this event, meet this speaker, if I couldn't see how that would align with any of those core objectives, mm-hmm. I just wouldn't do it because mm. I was pretty clear on what I wanted to get out of this and I wanted to stay focused on that. That's great. Yeah. That's a great message. All right, let's uh, shift focus a little bit. Talk about your time here at Haas. Uh, I think what you were just talking about is a great segue. What has your experience been like at Haas? And I think, you know, from our recent conversations, what are some ways you think Haas can do better? As I think everything is changing and everything needs improvement. We can always get better. (laughs) We can always get better. Yeah. Life's an improvement journey. I think my time at Haas has been great. Mm Mm-hmm. I think Haas is just the loveliest. Truly. <laughs> so lovely. The people here are the best. Everyone is Steffi, so kind. Steffi, they already took your money. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, it's true. People say business school can be competitive. Truly, I feel the only thing that is competitive about Haas is who can be nicer. Mm. I, I find, especially with, with my friends and the people around me, you find, oh, one person did this like really nice thing for someone who's having a bad day. Yeah. They're like, shoot, I got up my game. I got to be way nicer. <laughs> and it really just energizes you to be the best, kindest, most thoughtful version of yourself. Right. 
And I find that invigorating and just, you walk through the quad and you just feel like warm and cozy inside. Yeah, yeah. So I really appreciate that about Haas. What can Haas do better? I think a topic that we've talked a little bit about around diversity. Mm -hmm. I think, I'm sure this is true of all business schools, of all elite institutions. We can all do better on this. I think Haas can focus on it more Mm -hmm. and prioritize diversity among students, among faculty, among curriculum, in case studies, who are the protagonists we present, who are the guest lecturers we bring to class. Mm. Representation matters. And I'm not an expert on this, Mm -hmm. but you can't be what you can't see. Mm. And it is so important, even if this is not the exact reality of every industry that our graduates are going to go into, Mm -hmm. we need to paint the picture of the future that we want to see. Right. Not the past that we've seen, but I think this institution and others should be portraying a proactive vision of what the future could look like, mm. not a reflection of what the past has been. And I think that we can do better at that as an institution. That's very on point. Absolutely. What were some of your favorite classes here? Well, I would be remiss not to start with the experience I had with Dream Team 4 <laughs> in the private equity leverage buyout class. Mm. I had the great thrill of a lifetime to be on a team with Sean and two other wonderful evening, weekend, great patriots. <laughs> this was in a class with two professors, Peter Goodson and Sam Snyder, who mm. are both excellent private equity OG operatives. Right, And so that's been a great class. I'm currently also with Sean in a venture capital class that's been great. It's run very much like a venture capital partnership. Mm. So it's the chance to really feel and experience what it is like to work in a venture capital partnership. And I actually interned this summer in venture capital. So it was great to come out of the internship and into this class. I feel like I had a little bit of a leg up on the class, so that felt good come assignment time. (laughs) But nonetheless, it truly replicated what I experienced working in venture capital. Mm. So it was great. And then I think Haas has a very exhaustive first-year core curriculum. And a lot of the core curriculum was great. Some of my favorites were strategy with Ned. I thought he did a great job. Leading people was really powerful, learning about really just fundamentals about bias, about how we interact with people, how we manage and communicate in the workplace and in any type of relationship. So I think those are some of the highlights. Tell us a little bit about your internship. Sector or industry did you cover for venture capital? I worked at a venture impact fund called Mm. New Media Ventures. New Media Ventures focuses on, it is a nonprofit investor that invests in civic tech and political organizing tools and technology, Mm. as well as narrative change, focusing on investing in media startups. They are one of the few, it is a partisan organization, so it invests in progressive and democratic tools and tech and media platforms. Mm. They're the first, they're an early stage venture investing high-risk capital on great products and teams that have the potential to sort of change our political system. You know, something that has been a burning question today. (laughs) For at least 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Ashley, for a while is, you know, I'm really curious what drives you, what you're passionate about. What drives Steffi Decker? Because you're you're a very passionate person. Mm -hmm. I mean, having worked with you all semester, you were a very caring person. Uh, I've seen that. 
Yeah, just a very caring person. I, I was trying to avoid using the word motherly, which I'm going to cut out here. But, <laughs> <laughs> it's for the I'm trying not to be sexist. Uh, but yeah, you're a very caring person. I'm just curious, what makes you tick? Well, what riles your, what grinds your gears? <laughs> <laughs> well, those are two different questions. But Tide, I want to add sort of day in and day out, be able to make the lives of anyone I can touch, both directly or indirectly, better. Mm. I think that I can help people. I think I can, not with everything, but there are certain things I'm pretty good at. And I want to use my skills and ability and time to help other people reach their fullest potential Mm. in whatever ways that is. Right. And I think I want to, I feel driven and motivated to do that at the biggest scale possible. Mm. I think there's so much untapped potential and people just need support and they need sometimes a little bit of encouraging, sometimes a little bit of feedback, sometimes direct and harsh feedback. Mm -hmm. But I think with that can do great things. And so I just feel such strong motivation in in helping the people around me and energized at doing this at scale and having the opportunity to touch and improve more lives, more communities. And I care a lot about opportunity for people. I think I am very lucky. I've had so much good fortune in my life. And I know not everyone is as lucky as I have been. Mm -hmm. And I want to share as much of that good fortune with everyone that I can and give everyone the opportunity to reach their fullest potential and reach their greatest success. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Thank you for tuning in today. My aim is to bring the Haas community closer together through your stories. We're always looking for Haasies willing to share their stories and experiences so that we can give you more insights into the different programs, different careers, and ultimately different perspectives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please feel free to email me for suggestions on how I can improve this podcast or if you have any recommendations on people or content you'd like to hear. My email is reachshawn at berkeley.edu. That's spelled R-E-A-C-H-S-E-A-N at berkeley.edu. 